Welcome to Easter at Kenosha City Church. In this message, Pastor Andy talks about the message of Easter, the resurrection and life of Jesus. Enjoy the message. The Easter holiday, it, it means so many different things uh, to so many different people, right? Uh, you heard Brandon talk about the Easter egg uh, hunt or whatever. I, I went to one in my life. I didn't even get a single egg, and I, I just have a bad taste in my mouth with Easter egg hunts, all right? And so I, I traveled this thing. My parents are like, oh, you're going to get all these Easter eggs. I didn't get a single one, all right? And so for some of you, that's what you think of. You think of Cadbury eggs. And when I was over in England, they have the actual giant Cadbury eggs. They're not the small ones anymore like we get here in the United States. We think of all the different maybe commercial things. And, and for some of you, it's a tradition. Maybe you're going to go and have an Easter brunch after service today. But what I want to hone in on is this, is that in the church, for a follower of Christ, Easter, Resurrection Sunday, as it's more appropriately called, should not just be merely a tradition. We are missing it if it's just a tradition. Today we are celebrating a reality that should put a spunk in our step each and every day. It should give us hope in our veins. It should let us wake up every morning and realize that there is no need for the anxiety which we may be feeling because we can know that we can cast all those anxieties on him because he cares for us. How does he care for us? Well, it's because he's not dead. It's because he's alive. That's why this morning we can stand here and we can worship and we don't do this just out of mere tradition because this is something that we do. This isn't something that we come to church on Easter and we punch the little punch card for those of you that remember those, right? It's not just showing up on time and leaving when the time is done like you would at a job. No, it's a privilege to be able to stand up and say, the grave is empty, amen? You're not here by accident. This is the most significant day in the church year, but might I add, for some of you today, this may be the most significant day of your life. Have you ever rescued someone? Have you? Have you ever rescued someone? I remember in high school health class, uh, I had to learn how to do CPR. I believe the, it was like a head and a torso, and they called them Tommy Torso. And, and so they, they taught us how to do CPR as part of our grade. I wasn't very good at it. All right, I tried, all right? I was a little aggressive with Tommy Torso. I remember doing the, the chest compressions and his head popped off, all right? So I realized I, I didn't get a really good grade on that. But you're taught these things so that in the event of an emergency, you know what to do. Well, a few years ago, I was at Walt Disney World, the, the most happiest place on earth, so they say. And my wife, uh, Allison, said, you know what, to my daughter, uh, Edda's like, I'm going to take you on a roller coaster. My boys, they didn't want to go on this roller coaster. And, and so Allison and Edda went on a roller coaster while we, uh, while me and the boys, we sat back. And this was a part of the year where they were giving out candy at each ride. And so my kids literally had bags of candy. And of course, I let them tear into them while we were waiting for Allison to come back with Etta. And Graham, who was almost three at the time, tore into a bunch of Skittles, and I wasn't really paying attention how many he had in his mouth. And as he was chewing these Skittles, they got lodged in the back of his throat, and he began to tug at my shoulder with just absolute panic, but he couldn't say anything, and his face was turning blue. I began to, be I began to beckon Tommy Torso from seventh grade, all right? I'm like, what do I do? And I realized, I remember seeing Tommy's head pop off, and I panicked. And so I lifted up Graham, he's turning blue, and I just yelled what anybody else would do in the time, help, 
Now, it's amazing how many people just pass by to get in the line or, or, or to go to their next destination at the Magic Kingdom. But somewhere in that crowd was somebody who I will just say was an angel. I don't even know who they were. They were there in a second, and they were gone. They took Graham from me. They did the Heimlich, and out came the Skittles. The, the color came to his face. He began to cry. That lady, whoever she is, she had blonde hair. She's probably about 60 years old. She was there, took him, gone, never saw her again in my life. She saved my son's life. He needed a rescue. And I was a lousy rescuer. What I want you to know today is this, is that every single one of us, spiritually, we're gasping. Spiritually, in our own strength, uh, we're dying we're, it's not just that we're dying. In our own strength, we are dead. We are every single one of us is in need of a rescue and we can't save ourselves and somebody else can't save us on this earth. But the beautiful story is this. There is one that can. There is one that went to the cross to die, who breathed his last, who said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Who said at their last breath, it is finished. Who stood in our place to give us a spiritual rescue and his name is Jesus. And he rose from the dead. He came to give you and me a rescue. And if you're a follower of Christ, we, must we never forget the rescue? And if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus personally, today you're, you're going to be able to receive that rescue. Here's our main idea. Because Jesus is alive, you can be alive. Because Jesus is alive, you can be alive. As we talk about Jesus this morning, I'm indebted, besides the Bible, I'm indebted to two books that if you don't own these, go ahead and buy them, especially if you're a skeptic. There may be skeptics in the room this morning, like, okay, I know that Jesus is, I know he died on the cross and rose from the dead, but I'm just really struggling with this. Two books that really help me in a moment of skepticism. Uh, these books are The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell, and a more recent book by Mark Clark called The Problem with Jesus. I'm indebted to these books. Some of these books went into the research of what we're going to talk about this morning about the reality of Jesus and why uh, we need to make Jesus Christ our Savior and why we must never forget about that Jesus Christ is our Savior and why, if you're a follower of Christ, you have the opportunity to share Christ as your Savior. So again, the new evidence that demands a verdict by Josh McDowell and Sean McDowell and then uh, the problem of Jesus by Mark Clark. Because Jesus is alive, you can be alive. So today we're going to look at a few things. We're going to look at Jesus being a historical reality, we're going to look at because he's a historical reality that you need to understand that Jesus is your God, whether you know it or not. And then finally, we're going to look at how Jesus stood in your place. So let's take a look at the first one, that Jesus is a historical reality. Now, you need to understand this, especially if you're under 30, if you're in high, if you're in high school, or if you're in college. You're being told right now that, that you're foolish if you believe in some deity that died on the cross and saved you from your sins. Uh, they're going to make you feel like you're just an intellectual fool or an emotional fool if you can believe that somehow a God would come to this earth and save you. That's what you're being told. But the thing I absolutely love, uh, to borrow a term uh, from the new evidence that demands a verdict, they said you don't have to commit intellectual suicide to actually believe that Jesus Christ came and died for you. Jesus is a historical reality. And so I guess the question is, did Jesus really exist? Obviously, as a follower of Christ, I'm going to tell you yes, but this is a question that I've heard a time or two in my life. People are like, oh, it's a grand conspiracy. Did Jesus really exist? The, often, the person that asks this often treats Jesus as some kind of myth, like the Easter bunny or the Greek, Greek god Zeus. 
Uh, there's been a few 19th century philosophers, uh, and most recently in pop culture, Bill Maher, uh, from Politically Incorrect, Bill Maher, who has questioned even the existence of Jesus. But to say the person of Jesus didn't exist historically would be about as intellectually dishonest as trying to state that George Washington was not a real historical person. The existence of Jesus was largely seen as an historical fact, even accepted by the majority of the critics of Jesus. There is more historical evidence for the existence of Jesus than most political rulers of Rome, of which we take as historical fact. So what do the witnesses say about Jesus outside of the Bible? When we look at historical documents, uh, what do secular historians say about a historical man named Jesus? Cornelius Tacticus, one of the most famous Roman historians who lived during the reign of over a half dozen Roman emperors, wrote during the reign of Nero. This is what he wrote. Let me quote to you. He said, Nero, from the infamy of being believed to have ordered the fire of Rome, hence to suppress this rumor, he falsely charged with the guilt and punishment with the most exquisite tortures for the people commonly called Christians. Christ, the founder of the name, was put to death by Pontius Pilate, procreator of Judea, in the reign of Tiberius. So the most, I would say, attested to historian of the Roman Empire spoke of the reality of the person of Jesus. And there are countless secular historical evidences of the existence of Jesus. But perhaps maybe the most famous one is from Jewish historian Josephus. In his writing, Jewish Antiquities, he said this, and I quote, Now there was about this time, so again, Josephus lived during the time of Jesus. He said, Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. When Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive on the third day, and the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct to this day. Now, Josephus was not a believer, and yet he's attesting to not only the historical person of Jesus, but what the followers of Jesus actually believed. And what's important with this, as he's writing this, people could actually go up to followers that, that were alive that could say, yeah, I saw Jesus. Isn't that incredible? So what does the Bible say about Jesus? We, we see that secular historians would say that Jesus actually existed. What's, what's the Bible say about Jesus? Well, we see throughout the scriptures that Jesus is not only real, but he is the God-man. He's not only human, but he's fully God. Uh, Jesus was perfect without sin. We see that Jesus, he ate, he, he got tired, he cried, he felt emotion, he felt pain. But his story didn't start in the manger. Just a few months ago at Christmas, we talked about Jesus and the manger. And that is not where the story begins. What we see is that Jesus has always existed. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him is life, and that life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. So before Jesus took on flesh, he was. Think about that. This is how big God is. He has no beginning, and he has no end, and yet he was at the beginning speaking into the reality of creation. 
By his word, things were created. Now, for humans, that's a hard thing to understand, isn't it? Uh, we always think of something as having in a beginning. Maybe it's our life. You know, when did you begin? You think of when you're conceived and then when you were born, right? Uh, we, we, we can think of when things end, right? All, every single one of us is appointed, unless Jesus Christ comes back in our lifetime, is appointed to die. Uh, we can think of different things. When maybe when your children were born. Uh, maybe when, you're, when you were married, right? And, and we know that all things do come to an end. When you're married, you say, death to you part, which means death is going to end that marriage someday. We, can, we can't get outside the concept of our lives having a beginning point and an end point, and yet God is above all of that. In fact, the very world we live in, Earth, there was a point it was created, right? People debate about how it was created. We're told in Scripture that God spoke, and boom, it was created, right? But people have been debating about, oh, this is how the world was created. But what I never hear is this, people actually debating the world was created, right? The world was created, which means there's a, a beginning point, and even scientists will tell you today, in, in billions of years, which they will say, that the earth will come to an end when the sun grows really big and engulfs our planet and destroys it. We, this earth has a beginning and end date, right? And we're told in Scripture that Jesus Christ is coming back. He'll come back before that, you know, the, the sun engulfs our earth and whatever, right? But we're told, everybody agrees, there's a beginning and, is, and there's an end. But not so with Jesus. He has always been and always will be. And that gives our minds that little spinny ball on the Mac, right? Like, what do I do with that, right? It, 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 that's how big our God is. In verse 3, we see all things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life is our light. And that light, the darkness, cannot overcome Jesus has always been, but yet he came and took on flesh some 2,000 years ago. He entered this world as the God-man to take on our sin. John chapter 1, verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, oh, this is so good, listen. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name. Amen? Jesus ministered to his own people, but yet they rejected him. But his purpose wasn't to institute a new nation. It wasn't to institute just a little holy club with one sector of people on the planet. No, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The entire Bible speaks of Jesus. The Old Testament prophets prophesied of the coming Messiah. The first four books in the New Testament called the Gospels speak of the life of Jesus. And afterwards, the rest of the New Testament, we see the early church and how they are to live and expect to live as we wait for the coming Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is alive, you can be alive. So Jesus is a historical fact right? But let's get beyond the historical fact. Uh, Jesus is also your God, whether you know it or not. He is your God. He didn't come to just be something that you can make him into be, right? He, he was a real person, but he also said he's God. Jesus is real, and he clearly said he's God, but we have a problem. We all have a problem. Just turn to your neighbor and say, I got a problem, right? Just say, I got a problem. Here's our problem, whether we know it or not. We like to make Jesus into our own image, 
We like to make Jesus into whatever we want to make him into be, right? He's become this token of, well, this is what my Jesus would say, right? Or this is what my Jesus is going to do, right? And here's the thing. It's not about what you make your Jesus. It's who is Jesus? What did he actually say? Oh, people like celebrities, like Oprah and celebrities, they like to make Jesus into some kind of moral leader that you can become more positive people. You can become the best version of yourself, right? Do better, right? Thank you, Oprah. Other people love to quote Jesus by reading their lives into the meaning of Jesus. It's not saying, okay, Jesus, what are you actually saying so that my life can align with your ways? No, rather, sometimes, and we can all admit this, right? We admit this. Oftentimes, we'll open up the word of God and we're like, okay, Jesus, I need you to kind of like fit into my life right now. You need to become an accessory to what I'm already doing, right? Do we do that? Sure we do, right? That's why we have to daily ask forgiveness, other religions, specifically Islam, loves to make Jesus just a prophet. Or other religions like Mormonism love to say that Jesus wasn't enough so they had to have a sequel. It's a bootleg sequel. Who is Jesus? And what did he actually say? What did Jesus actually say about himself? So, in order to see what Jesus actually said about himself, I actually want to first look at what his opponents said. What they believe, what Jesus believed about himself. So what did his opponents say? Let's take a look at this. Luke chapter 22, verse 66. When daylight came, the elders of the people, both the chief priests and scribes, convened and brought him before the Sanhedrin. And they said, if you're the Messiah, tell us. But he, Jesus, said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And they said to him, are you then the Son of God? And he said to them, you say that I am. Why do we need any more testimony, they said, since we've heard it ourselves from his mouth. Now notice verse 70. He said, you say that I am. Oh, they understood what he just said. If you go back to the Old Testament, right? The burning bush, right? And they, who are you? I am what I am, right? I am was a term in Judaism they understood to be the name of God. And when Jesus says, I am, they're like, oh my goodness, he just dropped the big one, right? You can't get even bigger than that. That is the big one, and he did it. Oh, what more do we need? So the religious leaders heard everything they needed to hear. They understood that Jesus wasn't just saying that he was some guru or some kind of just rabbi. No, they knew that he was saying he was God. They've watched him for three years. For three years, they wanted to destroy him. For three years, they heard his teachings. For three years, they, heard, they saw his miracles. And now they got the clincher. He's calling himself, I am. So they, they were like, this is it. Let's put him on trial. But as we will see, the religious leaders didn't even follow their own law in arresting Jesus. You see, the law mandated three requirements uh, when someone was put under arrest. And again, this is kind of odd because we're like, well, wait, how could they arrest somebody for some religious saying? We live in a country where there's a separation of religion and government. The government this morning can't tell us a thing of what to say out of God's word. Amen, right? 
And there's some countries that's not the reality. In China this morning, your message has to be state-sponsored. That's why the majority of the hundreds of millions of born-again Christians this morning who are worshiping with the threat of being arrested and even killed are underground so that they can give the pure gospel, not some kind of cheap Chinese uh, um, endorsed uh, government gospel. Are you understanding what I'm saying? And it's any other uh, country right now in the third world. We have many countries where you cannot read and even hold on to a Bible with the threat of of being arrested in some uh, countries being beheaded. And so we see here that Jesus was living in a land where there was not freedom of religion. Do you understand what I'm saying? That Jesus was, if he was guilty of blasphemy, he could be put to death. And so the law mandated three requirements. A public trial, a defense of the accused, and two or three witnesses had to back that up. That would be a fair trial as, uh, by, uh, by Judaism and, and also by biblical law. In fact, according to Deuteronomy 19, if the two witnesses were uh, accusing wrongly, uh, the punishment that the accused would have received if they had been guilty would be inflicted on the false accuser. Instead, Jesus was handed over by the, a disciple named Judas to betray him into the religious leader's hands. The proceedings took place in the chief priest's home instead of the temple, so it, it, the, the, uh, they, it could be seen. And Jesus was tried without a defense. Jesus was accused of blasphemy because they saw that he was claiming to be God. And the witnesses were contradictory, which should have been thrown out because that would be seen as a false witness. But listen, here's the deal. This is what we see in the trial of Jesus. If you want a certain outcome and verdict, then the facts don't matter. The only thing that mattered to these religious people were their narrative and holding on to their narrative that Jesus was not the Messiah. The religious leaders knew exactly what Jesus was claiming, and they knew exactly that he was God, and they were going to punish him for it. But let's hear it from the mouth of Jesus himself. This is what Jesus said. The religious leaders said that Jesus was saying that he was God. Did did Jesus claim that? Oh, yes, he did. John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. The Jewish people saw Abraham, their, their great hero of the faith, and Jesus was claiming to live before Abraham. And not only that, Jesus was claiming that he was eternal and also God. John chapter 10, verse 25, I did tell you and you don't believe me, Jesus answered them. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you don't believe because you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given to me is greater than all. No one's able to snatch them out of the Father's hand and I, the Father, are one. Jesus here is claiming to be clearly connected to the Father thus part of the Trinity. And this is something the religious leaders did not want to hear. But we know this because Jesus said, they're not of my sheep. This is what I absolutely love about this, is that these people thought that only one people group were gonna get saved. But Jesus is like, eh, wrong. It's about belief, about the whole world. This is what I love, that when we lament about where the American church is today, 
and it's been, de- it's been declining. In the third world today, in places like I mentioned, China, uh, the, the Chinese people are, are coming to know Jesus at a rapid rate that we haven't seen here in America. We, they think that the population of those in China that are born again could rival the, actually the population of America at some point. That is crazy. That's amazing. And that's the power of God. Because Jesus' sheep are those that believe in his name. So we see here, it's not about being religious. It's not about what your grandma believed. It's not about your last name. It's, it's not about what you do. It's not about, what, it's not about anything other than this. Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone? John 5, verse 23, so that all the people may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but is passed from death to life. Jesus is very, very clear what he believed about himself and what is true. He is saying he is God, in so much so that if you reject him, you will face judgment. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Anyone who hears my word and believes, and this is the key, belief. Just knowing facts, by the way, does not get you right with God. Even the the book of James says, even the, the demons know and they shudder. What is belief? It is placing your full faith and trust that Jesus Christ is your Savior. Have you done this? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you asked Jesus Christ for forgiveness? Are you sure of it? It's something personally you must do. It's not good enough just to know facts. It's not good enough if your grandma accepted it. It's not good enough if somehow by osmosis, just by listening to this message this morning, you're going to be right with God. No, 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 no. You need to personally do business with God. You need to personally do business with Jesus Christ. Have you done this? I'm going to give you a moment and just a moment to do this to make sure you're right with God because there is no other way That's a controversial statement, isn't it? There's no other way. But guess what? This is what Jesus said. Jesus, John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That means no other religion. That means being good, being moral, being broke, wealth, health, will get you salvation. Nothing. But Jesus Christ, no matter where you find your life at, no matter what your background is, no matter where you come from, the great equalizer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen, church? Jesus was clear from his own mouth. He is the only way. So he can't be something else. And there is no other way. C.S. Lewis talked about this in his book, Mere Christianity. He said that either Jesus is who he says he is, or he's a liar, or he's a lunatic. Let me read this a section from your Christianity. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus, this is what this someone says, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God, someone may say. That is the one thing we must not say, C.S. Lewis says. I, a man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher if that's the case. He'd either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about this being a great human teacher. He, was not left, he has not left that open to us. He did not intend to, unquote. 
What C.S. Lewis is saying is this. Either Jesus is Lord or he's a liar or a lunatic. Let's put up a little graph right here. This is, this is a graph uh, from, uh, from the new evidence that demands a verdict. We see here he claimed, if his claims are false, there's two alternatives. He knew his claims are false or he did not know his claims are false. Uh, and then we also see his claims were correct. So let's talk about this. If his claims are false, he was a liar, right? If, if Jesus' claims are false, he was a liar. He was a huckster. He was a con man. Uh, he'd be a liar and a hypocrite because Jesus said his things were, his words were true. Could a deceiver, if he's a liar, speak such moral truth to give us foundations of which even governments are, are built upon? No, not at all. Could he give us such truths that, of, of which sayings we don't even know from the Bible have come into the vernacular of culture? Would, would, that, would that be so? No, it would not. Jesus was claiming moral truths that originated from him. I suppose if Jesus was just quoting moral truths and he'd just be a, a bad orator, but no, he's saying these moral truths originated from God and he was God, which means this, if he's a liar, then what he's saying cannot be good. But anyone that says he's just a moral teacher, to beckon C.S. Lewis is espousing his absurdities. Which leads us to the next thing. What if Jesus was, a, was mistaken? He, he was a lunatic. Whether, whenever someone says, uh, let's just put it this way. Jesus was a lunatic. All right, uh, he said, because he said he was God, he thought he was God. Uh, have you ever ran into somebody thinking they were God? I mean, I know we've ran into people and they pretty much think they're God, right? Like, they're like, either they, they could walk around all holier than thou or they, or they walk around thinking they have the red line to heaven. Listen, I believe that we can hear the voice of God, but you know what I'm talking about. The people that you're just like, oh, here they go. They think they can hear from God right now and they're just gonna beat me to a pulp now because I don't hear from God like they hear from God. You know what I'm talking about? All right, we, we just kind of give them a little bit of a pass, like, okay, whatever, right? But when you meet somebody who thinks they're God, like, you get a little nervous, don't you, right? Like, this person might hurt me, right? The person who thinks that they are God. I think those people are pretty universally condemned. But if Jesus was a lunatic, he'd be no different. Do you think the movement of Christianity would even last five years if he was a lunatic? Absolutely not. Which leads us to this. He must be who he says he is. Lord. The reality is Jesus is Lord. And the reason why we know this is because what we're celebrating today is because the grave is empty. It's empty. Listen, there are critics of Jesus, all right? There will always be critics of Jesus. We have 2,000 years of people who are critical of Jesus. But you know what happens to critics of Jesus? You know what happens to people that are worshiping Jesus? All of us will have a moment where we die. So if you want to go visit the, the, the critics of Jesus you, and that have passed on and died, you can go to the grave today and you can see that there lies a critic of Jesus. But let's talk about the critique, right? There's going to be plenty of critics of Jesus, but let's talk about the critique. You can go to the grave this morning, get a $2,000 flight to Israel, go to, the, go to the tomb, and notice the critique isn't there. It's empty. Jesus will always have critics, but the critique is alive. He's alive and his message will never die. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. And he came to stand in your place. He's historical? Yes. He's God? Yes. And why did he come? For you. For you. To stand in your place. Jesus was convicted in a sham court hearing. 
The Romans gave their stamp of approval. Pontius Pilate, seeing no wrong in Jesus, but not wanting to disappoint uh, the people. He wanted to please the people. He, uh, he decided to convict Jesus, but then he gave him one last out. He said, people, listen, he's done no wrong. I, uh, let me give you an exchange here, prisoner exchange. We can let Jesus go, or I can let mm, a murderer go. I'm thinking Pontius Pilate was probably thinking, they can't possibly let this Barabbas, a horrible murderer, go. But listen, he lost on that bet. They said, no, let him go. And for Jesus, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. I mentioned this last week. I need to mention it again. Some of these very people that were yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, were a week later, earlier, just days earlier, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Ooh, how can that happen? Our hearts are so easily deceived. That's how that can happen. But yet Jesus came for even the most deceived heart. He came for the most backslidden person. He came for the story that is so messy. He came to stand in your place. But Pontius Pilate, wanting to please the mob, put him to death. So now let me read, without comment, the crucifixion of Jesus. Luke chapter 23, verse 32. Two other criminals were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they know not what they are doing. Verse 44. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three because the sun's light failed. Then the curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. And saying this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what happened, he began to glorify God saying, this man really was righteous. And all the crowds that had gathered for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, went home striking their chests. But all who knew him, including the woman who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Jesus was betrayed. Jesus was mocked. And Jesus was nailed to die on the cross for you, for me, for every single one of us. Before his crucifixion, he was stripped of his clothes. He was tied to a, a post. He was beaten within inches of his life. He was whipped with a, a whip called the cat of nine tails. He was beaten so badly, his veins were exposed, his tendons were exposed, his bones were exposed. Many people didn't even make it to the cross because this is where they died. And then Jesus was nailed to the cross, the nails just below the hand, the nails in his feet. And he would be, on the, he would, he would be nailed to the cross, suffocating. And then in order to get air, he'd have to pull himself up, ripping even more flesh in his hands. And for every time he breathed, he thought of you and he thought of me. But it's not the pain that was the worst. It's what was happening in the spiritual. You see, Jesus came to stand in our place. And this is where he stood in our place. Not just the beating and then the mockery. No, no, no. He stood in our place by what God the Father was doing in this moment. You see, Jesus Christ came to take our debt. 
our sin debt, our sin, the wrong that we've committed in our life separates us from Almighty God. Why does God seem so distant? Well, if you don't know Jesus, he's way distant. Why? Because our sins separate us from Almighty God. And there's nothing we can do, no religion, no good works, uh, no, no nothing can get us to Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus came, to do what we could not do. And he died on the cross. The wrath of God that was reserved for you and I because of our sin was poured out on him. And in that moment, he took every single one of your sins, past, present, and future, of all humanity, of all time, in that one moment, man, that is what was painful. Just think of the sin or the shame that you may have had to walk in your life. Imagine if that played on the screen. It'd be horrifying, wouldn't it? Like, get that off the screen. He saw that. And he wasn't like, oh, I can't believe this. I'm not dying for this. No, he's like, Father, forgive them. I know not what, they know not what they do. And when he breathed his last, he said it is finished. He saw those moments that you're so embarrassed, that are so cringeworthy, that are so, I don't even want to talk about it. He saw it. And he died for it so that you could be made right with God. That's why he stood in your place. Yes, it's important to talk about the physical pain, but it's what's in the spiritual that matters. He stepped and stood in your place and atoned for your sins. On the cross, he wrote that check for your debt. Died on the cross, he said it is finished, which means there's no other sacrifice that's needed. There's no other work. It's faith plus grace plus nothing. May we never delude the gospel by thinking we need to add something to it. For by grace you have been saved. Listen, Jesus died in order for us to be able to have new life. But if Jesus stayed in the grave, it would have meant nothing. Because if he's going to defeat death for you and I, he has to defeat death himself. And that's why the resurrection makes the crucifixion powerful. You can't have one or the other. You need them both. Without the resurrection, Jesus would have been a liar. Without the resurrection, Jesus would have been that lunatic. Without the resurrection, what are we doing? Luke chapter 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, that's Sunday... Very early in the morning, they came to the tomb. So Jesus died on a Friday. This is Sunday morning. Bringing the spices they had prepared, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them dazzling in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and they bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men, asked these angels. He is not here. But he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was in Galilee, saying, it is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. Returning to the tomb, they all reported these things to the eleven and all the rest. And Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them. They did not believe the woman Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. 
And when he stooped in to look, he saw only the linen clothes. So he went away amazed at what had happened. The grave's empty. Some of the disciples, they were just ready to move on. It wouldn't be until they saw the risen Jesus that they realized, wow. And yet, these very people that were denying that the resurrection would even happen became the leaders of the church. I want you to know there is nothing in your life that is so big that Jesus can't pay for it and forgive it. Let that sink in. Oh, the churches are getting it wrong in so many different places. It's legalism, 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 right? Or, or it's, you know, do, do better, do this, do whatever. It's not about us. It's about what Jesus did and receiving it in full. That's the beautiful message. If we miss that message, we might as well not even be a church, right? This is the beautiful message of Jesus. Faith plus grace plus nothing. Place your full faith and trust in him and receive what he's already done for you. It's a free gift, but you can only be a gift if you receive it. The tomb is empty, which means the check he wrote on the cross, it cleared. And to all those who received him, you are debt free. He paid it all. The grave was empty. You are made new. You have new life. Whatever is holding you down this morning, it's been paid for. It's done. You're free. Live in the freedom of Jesus this morning. Amen? Because Jesus is alive, you can be alive. And the resurrection demands a response. And this is what it means for us. Your hope is in Jesus Christ. He is the resurrection and he's alive. He is for, like I said last week, the whosoevers. No matter where background you're from, no matter, uh, no matter what has happened in your past, no matter what country you're from, no matter who you are, if you're a human being alive this morning and you're breathing and your heart is beating, you can receive this message. It's a great equalizer, amen? But some of you, if you were to be honest, you feel dead. Feel dead inside. Maybe it's been life. It's been sucking the life out of you. Maybe you realize this morning Jesus seems so distant. You realize, man, I don't, I don't know if I've ever made this personal. I, I've known about him, I've heard about him, but I've never made it personal. If you want eternal life with Jesus Christ, Jesus talks about destruction and hell more than he talks about heaven. You want to know why? Because he wants to warn us that we stand under judgment if we don't receive the forgiveness of Jesus. This morning you might feel dead because guess what? Spiritually you are. But God wants to make you alive. On this Easter, I want you to remember you can be made alive and made new. Your sins can be forgiven, not because you're good, but because God's good. You can be set free because you're able, because you're able to receive Jesus Christ freely, because Jesus is mighty to save. He came to this earth fully God and fully human. He lived a perfect life, and he did the sacrifice that not any one of us could do. And on that cross, when he saw your full life, he said, it is finished. It is finished. He is the resurrection in life. Romans 3.23 says this, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrated his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Romans 10.9 says this, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, we're lost without Jesus. We're all in a predicament. We're all in the need of a rescue. Jesus came to rescue. He paid all of our sins in full. And now our response is this. Confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And yes, you will be saved. Let's get right with God right now. Let's do this, church. Father, I pray today that we would experience you anew and full. And if there's anybody experiencing a lack of faith, I pray that today you would resurrect them. So Father, I pray that everybody here today uh, would uh, today make sure they're right with you. In fact, as we're praying today, as we continue to pray, I just want you to ask that question to the Lord. God, am I right with you? I want you to ask the question, have I personally asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior? Are you sure that he's your Savior? It's not about trying to be good enough or cleaning yourself up first. It's about going to Jesus right now just as you are. Because Jesus did all the work for you already. Oh, that's so beautiful. For you're saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourself. It's a gift from God, not from works, so that no one can boast. For those of you that have never placed your faith in Christ or never made it personal, he is your rescue today. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, this morning, if you're like, I want to make Jesus Christ my Savior, I want to make certain of it, I need him to rescue me, will you just gently and slightly just raise up your hands so I can see you this morning? Just raise your hand right now. If that's you, awesome. Awesome, just raise your hand. Great. Great. Anybody else? We just pray with me for those that are placing their faith and trust in Jesus. We just pray with me. In fact, churches pray together. Today, people in this room are giving their life to Jesus. This prayer doesn't save you. I'm just helping people pray to God, perhaps for the first time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I realize I've sinned and I need a rescue. I know there's nothing that I can do. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross, raising from the dead. Thank you for giving me new life. I place my full faith and trust in you now. Amen. As we continue to pray, I just want to pray for this whole church today that may we never forget the reality of the resurrection and may we live a resurrection life every single day of this year. Resurrection Sunday is Resurrection Monday. It's Resurrection Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Repeat the rest of your life. So Father, I pray that we will live a resurrected life. We live a life that is pleasing to you. We live a life that is empowered by your Holy Spirit. We live a life that is not natural, but supernatural. That God, that we know that you go before us. Uh, God, I pray that we live a life that is not our own, knowing that we've been bought with a heavy price that is your blood on the cross. So, Father, I pray that we be your church, that we, that we be entrusted with your message, and that we would share it with others this year. God, I pray that this would be a year of worship in our hearts, that as we go, every act of our life would be an act of worship and thankfulness for what you did for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church 
or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.